This podcast contains violent adult themes and is not suitable for younger audiences. The eyes were very cold and lifeless, just black. I mean, the guy was a true psychopath. She was left in a creek bed. He treats females like chattels. He doesn't see them as being human. He was an absolute creeper, a guy that would go out on his own and pick vulnerable people. She was out in the open. She was naked. He's, he's done something evil. Her throat had been cut. You're in a cell with a psychopath. Building a wild animal loose on society. He has no remorse. I'm Michelle Gately, and this is Predator. When someone dies, the consequences ripple out to parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends. When that person is murdered, those ripples extend to the people who found the body, to the detectives who worked on the case. On and on those shockwaves flow into our community. Once that stone is cast, there's something which changes forever in the lives of those mourning a death. The very fact that these deaths touch so many people in our community was one of the reasons I felt compelled to tell this story. We needed to honour the legacies of Julie Turner, Beverly Lego, Sylvia Benedetti and Kira Steinhardt. These women deserve to be remembered as individuals with their own hopes and dreams and potential for the future. But there's another reason I needed to tell this story again, to look back when the wounds weren't quite so raw. I couldn't tell this story without also talking about what happens when the case is closed, when the killer is caught, when the news cycle moves on to the next event. Teresa Steinhardt lost her little girl on the 22nd of April, 1999, but she also lost part of herself. And while she grieved the tragic murder of her daughter, Teresa also mourned a life that she knew she could never go back to. I used to be an outgoing person party. My home was always open to everyone. Kira's death totally took Teresa away. I'm a different person now. And uh, I, I can't bring the other one back. She's, she's, she passed away when Kira passed away. But uh, I'm a mum to my son now. Took a while, but I'm there. Teresa says she is now, and always will be, broken. But she has rebuilt her life and created a new loving home with her son Connor, who is now 22. In earlier episodes though, Teresa spoke about the challenge she faced in being a mother to a son after Kira was killed. It was partly because she felt guilty and partly because she just couldn't cope with the immense grief. She had to leave Connor with his father and get out of Rockhampton so she could start to work through life without her little girl. I moved to Melbourne where no one knew me because I felt Rockhampton was pointing the finger at me and why is she smiling? Why is she laughing? Why isn't she grieving? Why isn't she doing this? And the rumours all started. And I couldn't deal with it. Connor and I always kept in contact with each other. Always spoke on the phone. He would come down once to see me and I would fly up to see him and things like that. We, we had a great bond, beautiful bond. And uh, 
And then I got in trouble at work because I had a I'm not care factor attitude, <laughs> as you do sometimes. And they wanted me to go and see a counsellor, so I went to see a counsellor, and she was a doctor, and she was beautiful in the way that she uh, guided me in... I was on meds to start with with her, and then I went off the meds. Because when you're on meds, how do you know if you're better? How do I know my brain is thinking right in the way what I want to choose? So when I felt the depression come on and it would last either three to five days, I would lock myself in the room and sleep it off and go to work in between, somewhere there, or call in sick. (laughs) After a few years in Melbourne, Teresa decided to move back to Queensland. Rockhampton still held too many bad memories though, so she went a few hours north to Mackay, where her mum and sister were also living. She'd only been living there about a month when she heard the news that Leonard John Fraser had died of heart attack in prison. I was so pissed off. It was like he only did eight years of service in jail. Well, I want my daughter back. That's not fair. <laughs> he gets to friggin' rest in peace or whatever that crap is. <laughs> and I still get to suffer. The news of Fraser's death pushed Teresa back into a dark place and she again struggled to cope with her new reality. She was seeing a Canadian man who had two children, a boy and a girl. She went over to Canada for a year to live with him and it would prove to be the experience she needed to find her feet again. I was still lost, but not in a bad way, but I went over there for something different, I suppose. In the years following Kira's death, Teresa had been revisiting every moment of weakness and anger as a parent. The times she yelled at Kira or gave her a smack during a tantrum. She'd told herself again and again that she was a bad mother. But one of her Canadian partner's children, the little girl, Anastasia, was severely autistic. Being a stepmother helped Teresa feel redemption and to realise she could be a good mother to Connor again. And I think that's what helped me is because for years I had guilt and I hated myself because I hit Kira, I yelled at Kira, I punished Kira, and I did all that. So I had all this guilt that I did wrong by my daughter. And I was doing exactly the same with Anastasia. And then I stepped back and went, hold on, I'm not punishing her. I'm not hitting her for the fun of it. I'm not yelling at her for the fun of it. I'm actually teaching her. And it was a teaching process for her and me. And that made me realize that I was doing the right thing by my daughter. So she actually helped me and I actually helped her because she got out of it nappies She was able to walk upstairs. She was able to carry her own bags. She was able to eat. And she was able to dress herself. 
And she was a smart little girl, just locked away and no one could reach her. She had no toys. She only had a bed in her room. So when I left, she had toys. She had little Barbie dolls. She had beautiful little stuff to play with. And she was able to eat on her own and go to the toilet on her own and not be locked in her room. So I was pleased what I did there with her. So but I that also her. helped you mm, it helped know me. that you had been a good mum. Yeah, it mm. did. So that guilt just went out the back door. Just <laughs> able to forgive yourself. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. It was just like a relief in a way. When she came back from Canada, Teresa returned to Rockhampton. Connor was now 12 and Teresa made him a deal. If she could get a job within a month, she'd stay. It only took her one day. I lived with his nan till we got our own place and I couldn't live on the north side. The north side was too painful. So we lived on the south side. And Connor would come and see me nearly every weekend. And eventually he ended up moving in with me. And we were two peas in a pod. Eventually, Teresa had to confront her fear of North Rockhampton because to get Connor to and from school, she had to drive past the spot where Kira was attacked. It took about a year for Teresa to cope with this drive and to make it almost daily. If it wasn't for Connor, Teresa admits she would have avoided that drive forever. It's, it's a matter of I had to because or else I wouldn't have been able to get my son. So it's like, it's like a fear. You know how people have fear of fire, animals, all that, and it's a process of doing it. In her years living alone, Teresa had come to depend on routine. Having a child again, and the inevitable routine disruptions that come with that, was something she also struggled to adjust to. And it was just so painful just to, just to, to look back at it now. It was just like, oh my God, girl, really? You carried on like a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> But I had to have it to cope with my life, to get on with things. And then I come into Rockhampton and I've got this 12-year-old that's, that's changing my lifestyle. It's like, hold on, this is not what I want. <laughs> I just want to go to work, come home, play on the game. <laughs> now I've got to feed you <laughs> and, and look after you? No, okay. And I was say, I'm not your mum, I'm Teresa because I still didn't know how to be a mum to him. It became too expensive for Teresa and Connor to live in South Rockhampton, but she was able to rent the flat above the service station where she worked. When Connor was 15, he got a job there too. One of Teresa's proudest moments was seeing him graduate year 12 a few years later. I knew that little talk in my head, remember? Connor will need you when you get older. He needed me, and still does. Gaming has been a saving grace for Teresa and Connor. It started when Connor was still living with his dad and visiting Teresa. He wasn't allowed to play video games at his father's, but it was open slather at Teresa's house. Connor couldn't read, so I would buy games that um, you had to read. And slowly but surely enough, he learned how to read. And now he has a PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, and has a PC games. 
and he can read. I would sit there and watch him uh, play games or watch him do YouTubes and enjoy what he's doing to understand Connor. And um, then I used to play uh, Diablo, then I got into Warcraft, and so we would lose ourselves in the game. But we still have a connection because we go to the movies or we might go out to lunch, we do things together. I try and encourage him to go out with um, old school friends, but he just seems to lock himself away. Uh, I'm really proud of him because he's gone to work, he still goes to work, even though he does 10 hours a week. I'm really happy that he's doing it. And we actually bought a house together. So I'm teaching him because I'm not going to be around forever to um, learn to pay houses and pay your bills and he's it's a slow process which it is but he's learning but he needed you and now yeah. you're here he needed me yeah <laughs> I think I need him Teresa has rebuilt her life around grief and loss few others can understand but her family was also never the same. Our family used to be very tight and it destroyed everything. I've lost my mum, lost my grandma, I've lost everyone. So, yeah, I've only got my brother and sister left and Connor. God help me if he, if he goes before I do. <laughs> but I try not to think of it. Leonard John Fraser might be the reason Teresa and Connor's lives change forever, but this is not his story. It's about honouring Julie, Beverly, Sylvia and Kira and remembering the loved ones they left behind. This story has not been an easy one to tell and I'm sure it's not been easy to listen to, but I hope you understand now why it's so important. We let these stories fade from our memories and get on with our lives believing we're immune from these crimes, but we need to remember everyone touched by violent crimes because to live through that takes more strength than most of us can imagine. And it's sad that it's taken me this long to get to where I am now. So anyone that's out there that's really lost anything or anything, it's a long process. It's not a quick fix. You, you just, you don't get over it. You learn to live with it. And if you can find something special about it, hold on to it. Because the moment that I had Connor on my lap and I was thinking about taking his life and looking at him, you got to ask yourself, which I did. It's not their fault. They're innocent. And I hear so many parents take their life 
and their kids' life. But depression is nasty. Brain can be very cruel. It can be. And there is the times you can't crawl out of it because it's, it's just, it eats you inside. I've been there and I've done a few of them. And I never drank. Drinking is just a solution of when you wake up, it's going to be there. Never did drugs. Fuck that. <laughs> it's funny how a circle goes around. I always believe that everything has a purpose and and a, and a circle. It's just led me around the long way. On the 20th anniversary of Kira's death, the day we released the first episode of this podcast, Teresa saw a blue butterfly land on her car as she walked out of work. She believes Kira has never really left her and that each time this story is told, it keeps her memory alive. Kira would have been 29 this year and I think whatever you believe in, you'd have to agree with me that she would be so proud of her mum and the brother that she loved so dearly. In crime reporting, we need to talk about loss and grief and anger, but we also need to examine how people piece their lives back together, how they move forward with grief and rebuild a new life on those sites of trauma. Rockhampton's changed a lot in the 20 years since these crimes unfolded. We've grown up. There's a few more high-rise buildings and our parks and riverbank precincts have been given makeovers. What hasn't changed though is the sense of community. And even though the community can sometimes feel a little claustrophobic, it's still ready to wrap its arms around Teresa and Connor and the families of all these women to let them know that we won't forget our own. Predator is a production of The Morning Bulletin, a News Corp publication. It's written by me, Michelle Gately, and recorded and produced by Alan Renica. Thanks goes to Caroline Graham from Bond University and Astrid Edwards from Bad Producer Productions for consultation and advice throughout. Margaret Wood provided transcription services. Our thanks also to Eddie Cowie, Detective Senior Sergeant Carl Burgoyne, Alan Quinn, Wayne Petherick, Fraser Pierce, and especially Teresa Steinhardt, who also provided audio of Cura for the project. For full music credits, see the show notes. You can find all the episodes of this podcast on Apple iTunes or listen and look through exclusive photo galleries and stories at themorningbulletin.com.au. If this reporting has raised any issues for you, you can call Lifeline Australia on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636.